I was listening to a podcast a few days ago, a podcast about podcasts, which actually makes up a good portion of what I listen to and, and read and watch YouTube about these days. Not just podcasts, but uh, making videos and all these things, because that's my life now. It's my business, and I'm trying to get better at it. Anyways, in this show, the host said something like, if you have a podcast and it's an interview type show and you're just interviewing experts in your field, well, that's a pretty lazy way to go. <laughs> and I was instantly like, what? Because it is anything but lazy. It takes so much work to like put these, get these guests scheduled and, and time, of course, you know, editing it and, and it takes money. You know, we have Brooke helps us editing and she would have a lot of other ways to help the business, but we're kind of choosing to um, spend the time and, and resources here. So I was, I was kind of defensive, like thinking, oh man, how could that possibly be? Uh, up until the moment I clicked record on, on this podcast where I don't have a guest and there's not an interview. And now I kind of see what the host was talking about. It's so much easier to talk to somebody else and interview and ask questions than to simply speak to your audience directly and communicate that way. So that's what, that's what I'm doing here. I'm trying to practice something new. And I do have a list of updates and topics that I think will be relevant for you guys as, as I'll say the regular listeners of the show here. And, um, you're probably watching our YouTube videos as well. Now, the first thing is we're, we're approaching a hundred episodes, um, on the podcast, which is kind of a milestone for two reasons. Number one, that's the goal I set for myself to, to, uh, to get to a hundred episodes before we made any kind of decision about whether it was worth the effort and worth continuing to do it. Um, and any decision made before then would be premature. Well, we're, we made it. We're at 100 episodes. We like doing it. We're going to keep doing it. And I'm very happy to announce that in the next uh, couple of weeks, our first sponsor will hop on the show with us. Uh, up until now, you might think we haven't had any sponsors. Uh, that's not true. The sponsor has been my family or Essential Craftsman, I guess, because it, like, I, like I said, it definitely costs money and time to put these things together. So thanks to my wife and kids, the old sponsor, the new sponsor is Jobber. They're going to be doing just a handful, but I've actually enjoyed and paid attention to Jobber as a company for a while since I heard about them a, a year or two ago. And uh, if you're a contractor, you probably already know. So very excited to announce that. The next thing I want to talk for, for a minute about giving and receiving advice. And I'm doing this for two reasons. Number one, in a couple months, I'm going to turn 40. And I feel like I'm making this transition from a person, a kid. Now, I've been, I haven't been a kid for a long time, but I've still been like asking and absorbing as much advice from uh, everybody as, pos as I could as possible to I find myself now already almost giving more advice, not unsolicited, but people will ask me all the time, younger folks and and people uh, for things that I have experience with, and I'm very happy to share it. And I think that's a little bit the natural order. You know, that's you know, dads and grandpas are are famous for giving advice, and they're generally giving that to younger folks. So I've noticed my that balance in my life of <laughs> receiving advice and giving it starting to change slightly. Um, don't get me wrong; I still love getting advice, and that's what half of this video is, by the way. Um, getting feedback and tips from you guys on what parts of this show you think are working, what types of interviews are working. Um, anyways, when I was 21, I had my idea for my career. I kind of always knew I wanted to be involved in real estate because everyone I met as a child from the age of like 10 
till then, 21, who was wealthy and successful, you know, according to my definition, was in real estate. Every single one. I, I know it's coincidence, but it's all, there's also some truth to it. A lot of the wealthy people out there made their wealth in real estate. So that made a lot of sense to me. And I, I, the first assumption that people make, and I made also, is like, well, you make money in real estate by having rentals and people pay you money to live in your property and you're a landlord and you can you know, go fishing and the rent check shows up in the mail. It's amazing. And that was my own uh, career plan is to somehow own property and collect rent. And uh, this older fellow, I was chatting with him. He was asking me what I was kind of thinking about my career. And I kind of explained that to him. And I remember him giving me this advice very well because he even started it. Can I give you some advice? And anytime somebody tells you that, it's a really smart way to, to give advice because you're getting their permission and it just changes like the way you hear something. It, it, and i that's something I've learned. And he, and I remember him doing that. Can I give you some advice? And I was like, absolutely. And he said, you don't want to do rentals. Rentals are a headache and you will, you'll do all this work. And especially while you have a mortgage, you might make like a few hundred dollars a month. Just buy these properties and then just sell them. You know how long it would take you to, if he said, if you sell a property and you make, Twenty or thirty thousand dollars in one shot. You know how many months of rent you'd have to wait in order to earn that same amount of money. Now, I wasn't at a position right then to take that advice or do anything with it. And at the time, I I honestly really blew him off and thought of myself as much wiser, thinking this guy doesn't understand investment <laughs> the way I do because over decades and but the advice always stuck with me. Sure enough, later in my life, I did have some rentals for a while. It was so much work. I was chasing rent checks and replacing refrigerators and unplugging toilets and fixing busted sprinklers and having uh, air conditioners go out. I'll never forget one summer I was up here in Oregon. And when your rentals are in Arizona, everybody down in southern states know. I mean, the summers are, are dangerous and when air conditioners go out, which happens all the time, it's no picnic. Anyways, one summer I was here and an air, an air conditioner went out on this unit I had. And I just remember that feeling anytime the phone rang of almost panic, like, I hope everybody's okay. So point is not that fun. And I kind of feel like I, I finally understood that guy's point. And sure enough, that's how I transitioned my business to, instead of, holding on to properties. I, after I learned this lesson, I'll say the hard way. It wasn't that hard. It was, I learned a lot doing it, but I could see why he gave me that advice now. And, and I appreciate it. And there's been lots of other times in my life where I got advice kind of like that, not necessarily from someone super close to me. Um, but often someone that you only know a bit, but you know enough to respect their opinion and, and, and that's, you know, I should say that's one of the real clues for me on whether I am interested in the advice is what's this person's situation and lifestyle like? In other words, take advice from people whose lives and relationships um, you admire. Don't take advice from people whose, whose lives are a mess. That, that's one of the reasons why sales is challenging because you're, you're giving advice and telling somebody, hey, you should do this. And you know completely why they're telling you that and, and what their reasons are. 
you don't have any any good reason to take that advice. You you may not have as much good reason to take that advice um, in that case. So I'm mentioning this because I've been thinking about this as we've done all these interviews on this over the last year. Uh, how much good advice um, has come from some of these guests? And actually, this morning we had an interview with Alex Steele, and Alec is a young guy. He's 24 now. He's no kid, and it always kind of bugs me when older guys will give someone younger a harder time for being young because there's a lot of young, like Alec, there's a lot of young guys like Alec who <laughs> they know so much and, they, and you, 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 I would not trade, uh, advice from Alec for advice from someone my age who hasn't accomplished much. So don't let the age, uh, fool you. Anyways, Alec had great advice and just, um, I really learned a lot in the discussion with him and I, I learned especially things about parenting, to be honest, because Alec's dad and his mom, um, he, and he didn't go into great detail about this, but you can read between the lines. They saw his interest in blacksmithing when he was 11. And they they made things happen in their family, in their home there, so that he could participate and get involved. And it's a lot of work for parents to, to do that, to make these things come together. And they encouraged him. And when he left school at 16 to, to blacksmith, um, I don't know, I don't know exactly the advice they were giving him good advice or, or not, whatever, but he did it. And, uh, man, I'm so glad. I'm so glad he did. And that for me has been, I've been thinking about that with my kids. My kids are young still, but it's just reminding me as, as, as good parenting to, Encourage kids and people in in the things they're doing that are positive, uh, even if they're not maybe the the most stereotypical and the most classic uh, type of life choices, like you know pursuing a blacksmithing career at sixteen as opposed to finishing school or going to university or something. But anyways, I thought that was great. That that was something I learned from that interview that really stuck with me. That I'm going to think about and we have family members uh, nephews and, and stuff who are at that age in life you know late teens trying to make decisions about school and and their parents are making decisions like you know do we pay for this and what's the point if if the kid doesn't want to go that bad anyways are we what what do you do it's really tough um college and that whole experience has changed a lot even since i was there so seek advice and get advice and look for advice in every nook and cranny, even even the podcast you're listening to, even uh, people who may be younger than you expect, and you can really come away with some some great insights. About five or six years after I met that guy who told me and made that point about rentals being no good and that you wanted to sell the property, I, was, I had a sales job, and I mentioned sales, and I was sail, selling door-to-door satellite TV which was <laughs> did not come naturally to me. We never had TV when I was a kid. I never watched satellite or anything, so I was not um, I was not a true believer in the product. Let's put it that way. But anyways, I knocked on this one door, and this is in Colorado, and this was a real like kind of a rundown, not tra- yeah, like a trailer park kind of a neighborhood, and there was this fellow in there who was real friendly. He had no interest in the in satellite TV. But he really quickly was just kind of asking me what I was doing and if this was like a career, what exactly, you know, how the commissions worked. And I was really happy to have a conversation that wasn't about ESPN and Disney Channel and stuff. And so 
quickly after he kind of figured out that, no, this is like a summer job for me. And I was going back to school and my degree was in accounting and I was hoping to get into real estate, you know, after that, he launched into this all, spiel sounds, you know, derogatory. It wasn't a spiel. He, he launched into just this, I don't know, dissertation on, on how to get real estate at a bargain price. And I was glued to the floor of this trailer <laughs> and it was dirty, but I was sitting on his couch, just like soaking this up and loving it. And he went through and described this process of, and he, he, he knew I was out and about. He's like, every time you, and okay, this is in 2004. No, no, I'm sorry. This was, uh, the summer of 2006. And at that time, real estate was just screaming in the U S and everybody and their dog was making money in real estate and everybody was talking about it. And, and I was thinking about it, of course, actually feeling like I was missing out because I was here, I was doing sales and everybody else was just talking about all this money being made in real estate. And he was, uh, he was explaining this process of how you get bargains. And he's like, when you're out knocking doors, every time you see a house that is abandoned and the, and you can tell it's abandoned because the yard is super overgrown and there's no lights on and there's like 12 newspapers on the driveway because nobody's picking them up and there's a pile of leaves around the front door because the wind blows in there he's like you need to write down that address and go home and he he didn't talk about going online but he, he said go to the county and the county will show you who the owner is and mail the owner a letter saying i want to buy your house and generally speaking, he's like, they, it's vacant for a few different reasons. He's like, it could be any one of these reasons. He's like, and if you write him a letter, there's a chance. He's like, it's not a good chance, but maybe one out of 50 that they'll sell the house. Maybe, maybe it was their parents' house who passed away, or maybe they're overseas for something else and they didn't have time to deal with it. And, and he's like, so if you, if you send enough letters like that, eventually you'll find someone who will sell you the house. And that, and that's the catch you offer to buy the house, but you, you buy it at a discount because you are taking on the risk of repairing it and all that. And I was just really glued to this conversation because I love, I love deals. Who doesn't? And this guy kind of spelled out how you buy real estate at a bargain price. Now I finished that summer. I, I kind of took the best notes I could. And, and I remember him, I remember the one, the other, aside from mailing letters to vacant houses, he also explained how you could find out people who were late on their taxes. And if they were several years behind on their taxes, then probably they need to sell the house and get out of it because who knows what, if they can't pay the taxes, they're probably not able to afford the house anymore. And same thing, you can mail them a letter. So anyways, a few years went by and, um, sure enough, I, I, that's my, I, I was able to, after I finished school and this is now real estate crashed, and kind of started rallying. It didn't start rallying actually yet, but it was, it, it at least hit the bottom and real estate was so cheap that basically everybody kind of realized like, oh wow, there's a lot of good deals. I shouldn't say everybody, the brave <laughs> realized, hey, there's some really good deals on real estate right now. And so they started scooping them up. And a couple years after that, like 2011, 2012, after it was pretty clear, actually 2011 was when I started um, buying real estate and doing this exact formula that this guy explained. And I was just so grateful again that this guy kind of went out of his way and gave this advice. Now, 
this almost violates that principle I said earlier, where you should take advice from people who <laughs> you respect or whose whose lives you enjoy. This, I guess, it doesn't really fit right there because, like I said, this was just this kind of busted up trailer. But point is, you, it, it stuck with me. And maybe it's not advice. Maybe it's just education. This guy gave me some education, and so I was really grateful for it. So, anyways, I'm gonna leave that with you because. You never know when you you learn something and absorb something in your life at a younger age. And it's very possible that you don't need that information right then. But you might someday. And when the time comes and and you have an opportunity to, to use the knowledge, you're grateful you have it. I've seen this over and over and, and these two comments about real estate shaped and really molded my career. And then from 2011 till 2017, that's what I was able to do full time, which was just a, a total thrill. That's, that's what I had always kind of imagined doing and wanted to do. And I really loved it. And I do attribute a lot of that to not just those two, but other people who shared even just casually uh, little tips and ideas and thoughts about about that world that I didn't know. So let's wrap up there. If you have questions or ideas about guests or topics, if you think more solo shows like this would be a good idea, let me know. Or if you have specific guests you'd like to have on there, let me know. I know there's been a lot of different types of guests. We're certainly not just a construction podcast, but like I said, it's there's no harm in having too much knowledge and too much information. That's the approach I'm taking with it. Two more things before I wrap this up. The first one minor, which is the numbering on our podcast has gotten out of whack between uh, iTunes or Apple Podcasts and the numbers on YouTube. So we're going to correct that. It, you guys probably won't notice, but if you see a big, if you're watching this on YouTube and you see a big jump in the way that they're numbered, that's why everything's fine and it'll make us sleep better at night with all these things in sync. And the second. Um, item here kind of a question but if you remember when we started the podcast we post a posed a question should we put these videos on the second channel on ec2 which at that time didn't exist or should we just put them on the main channel and the the results from the audience came back like split right down the middle half of you were making really good points like keep it all in one spot that's of course the right answer it's the same people and the same type of conversations and if I don't want to watch it I won't click on it so that makes sense the other half said and this is what I was thinking it's totally different content and put it in another channel that way it's not diluting the content we put on YouTube which is quite different content both of them take a lot of work but the YouTube videos are certainly better designed for video than than this is most people are listening to this so I mentioned this because we're leaning really heavily now towards kind of correcting course again and putting these videos on the main channel. Here's why. It would make our life, number one, so much easier to just have one YouTube channel in the way that we are able to promote it and grow it. Number two, I think a huge portion of our audience doesn't even realize that these podcasts exist. And I know for you guys that doesn't matter that much, but for us, since this is our business and our livelihood now, we're kind of thinking, oh man, it's like working smarter or harder. (laughs) We're working really hard and most of the eyeballs who who know about essential craftsmen just type in essential craftsmen go to the channel watch what they want to watch and may not realize that there's some more content here that some of them might enjoy um and the 
and still the fact remains if if you don't want to watch the the podcast video you don't have to on there i'm committed to always titling things really well so people know exactly what they're getting uh, in a title so we're kind of, oh and then the final reason and this might be the most significant um when we when we started and like i mentioned my instinct was to put the podcast on the second channel was because i was and continue to be not super excited about being on the main channel. I'm not the type of person who likes to be in front of a camera and, and talk in front of people. And it's been nice for me to practice and get my confidence up here with a smaller, um, it's not a smaller audience. It's probably similar, but it just feels a little safer, like a safe space for me to practice. And I've really enjoyed that. And I got to say, my confidence has increased over the last year. I feel like I'm better. Actually, I don't know if I'm better. I'm just less afraid of it than I was. And so for that reason, now my dad and a couple of close friends and my wife and several other people are kind of like, yeah, put it, put these all back on the main channel. That's where they go. If people don't want to watch it, they won't. And I think it is certainly better for the business in terms of having everything in one spot. So anyways, that's what we're kind of leaning for. And we're probably going to do it unless, unless all of you are chiming in right now, like terrible idea, don't do it, abort. Uh, you got few more minutes here maybe a week or so to um to get us that message if you think that's a big mistake otherwise you'll start seeing these on the main channel on their own playlist and i think the algorithm does a good job of figuring these things out anyways so i'm, I'm sure that if they kind of get the if they once the algorithm figures out how the podcast gets titled on the main channel they won't serve them up to people who aren't going to be watching them on there so anyways that's enough of that for today thanks for joining me we'll catch you all next time